You know I'm kidding. I do want to get into the Word of God here for just a moment. The defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So we've been going through the book of Philippians, and I want to go back to this passage that we read last week in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine, making request, request for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from, the, day, from the, the, the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. And just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch, check this out, as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all, in, in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are, by Christ, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So in this verse, we're reminded that Paul is writing under arrest. He's in confinement. He's not in prison, as we would think. He's not in a jail cell, per se. He's more likely under a house arrest, what we consider a house arrest. And really, the only reason that this happened. It was probably because of the generosity of the Philippian church and other churches that stood with Paul in his affliction. Uh, it was their generosity. The only, the only way that, that, and we'll see this later on, he's, he's in a rented house under house arrest. The only way that he's able to afford that is because of the generosity of the believers that stood with the apostle Paul. They stood with him. Amen? And that's important for us to do. We need to stand with each other. We need to stand with the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to stand with evangelists and missionaries and those who are doing the work of the gospel. We need to stand with them, not forget them, right? Sometimes they'll end up in the hospital. Sometimes, even now, we're seeing a lot of our, our, our missionary friends that, that are either stuck in a country or are stuck here in the States and can't get back to the country where they're working because of all of the lockdowns in different nations. But we need to stand with them in these times. We also see uh, widows uh, of missionaries that have no retirement, no form of income. We need to stand with them. Amen? We need to stand with one another. And we, we need to especially stand with those who give their lives to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is not selfish. Uh, he, he wasn't looking for handouts all the time. He labored himself with his own hands to support himself, but at this point he's not able to do this. He's under house arrest, and the church stands with the Apostle Paul and supports his ministry. He's in confinement for a total of four years. Uh, we believe that he's, he's uh, under arrest, and, and he's, what, what are the charges for his arrest? Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's literally what he's on trial for. And there are these accusations coming against him that he is trying to subvert the Jewish faith. He's trying to lead people astray. And so these are really the charges that, that he's under. And there, there's a, a little bit of uh, 
I guess, tension between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. The Jewish leaders want him strung up and killed, and the, the Roman leaders aren't exactly sure, are these legitimate charges? Should we do this? And so this ex- prolongs and extends this, this period of, of Paul's arrest, four years. He spends two of these years in uh, Caesarea um, Maritima, and we, it's, it's a different place than the Caesarea of Philippi. We often think of, when we hear of Caesarea, we think of Caesarea Philippi, but it's Caesarea Maritima. It's a maritime town uh, about 60 miles from Jerusalem, and he ends up there during his travels to Rome. I don't want to give you the whole history, the whole background, but he, he spends two years here under house arrest and probably two years in Rome under house arrest. We don't know the exact location that Paul wrote the letter of Philippians from for sure, but it's one of these two locations, and he is under house arrest. He is restricted, and, but having said that, the Lord opens the door for him, and we'll see this by the time we get to the end of this message, the, the Lord opens the door for him to continue to minister even under house arrest, and the gospel is not restrained despite the attempts now, these are people that are working to keep, to, to, to really, uh, their, their hope and aspiration is that Paul will be put to death. There are people that are, behind, that are moving to do that, but it is, how many of you know, the work of the enemy behind those men to stop the propagation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he, he's in this situation for two years. Th- think about the, the Apostle Paul. Just, I want to highlight this. The persecution that he experiences, the threat of his life. We talk about being persecuted because people don't want to hear what we have to say from time to time, or uh, we get blocked on a social media platform or something like that. We talk about that as persecution. Have you ever been flogged? I mean, have you ever been beaten with stripes? Have you ever been scourged? Have you ever been stoned and left for dead? This, This man suffered immensely for the gospel. There is no doubt that this man's commitment for the gospel was there. To the point where he says, you know what? What's better for me? Just to continue to live, stay here in, de- in, 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 um, in, in, in this prison, in this, this confinement, in, in under house arrest, or to die? What's the better? And he, he, he concedes that it's, it's probably better for me, even in this pitiful state, of confinement, you think about that. Think about being under house arrest for four years and being in that, in that state of mind. He says, it's better for me to stay here to do the work that God's called me to do. He is all in, totally committed to doing the work that God has called him to do. And so he mentions here in, in verse seven, he says, uh, I, I think about this of you because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. In other words, you're standing with me. You're partakers in the grace of God and the ministry that God is doing through my life, right? You've, you've stood with me, right? And he talks about his, his, uh, his chains, that the fact that he's bound and he says, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. See, this was where, really, if we, we need to understand where Paul's head is at during this time. This is where he's at. You know, we, we see trials in the, in the United States of America that have spiritual consequences. We, we, 
uh, we, we see them and then we, we start watching them. For example, you know, uh, pro-life issues that, that go to the Supreme Court and we watch for those trials and when those things are being uh, played out in the Supreme Court, we wait with eagerness to hear a result, hopefully a positive result, that there would be a stand made for the sanctity of life. This is a similar situation that Paul finds himself in. See, Paul doesn't just see himself on trial. He sees the gospel on trial. He doesn't see this as as, uh, an attack on Paul. He sees this as an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he believes that whatever happens to him in that courtroom is going to he believes, fall out to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is set, he uses this language in scripture, that he is actually set for the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, as Christians, called to be set for the defense of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as I thought about this, I thought this question, and I think we, we, we all think about it, does the gospel really need it to be defended? I mean, because in reality, doesn't the gospel just stand on its own? Doesn't the cross of Jesus and all that he, the, 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 resur- the death, burial, and resurrection and all that Jesus has done, doesn't that stand on its own? I mean, like my words can add any weight to what Jesus did. So in reality, yes, the gospel does stand. Do we really need to, stand, to defend the gospel? Do we really need to defend the scriptures and the truth of God? In reality, no. I like, I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this. This is a quote from uh, the great preacher. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is, is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Amen. And I think that, that might speak to what Paul's strategy was. He wasn't there necessarily to, to defend the lion. He was just there to let the lion loose. He was going to stand up, and you you see this, every time he goes on trial, whether it's Festus or Agrippa or these Roman rulers, every time that he gets on trial, he just declares the gospel of Jesus. He just lays it out and boldly stands and preaches the gospel, right? That needs to be our approach. Like, we, we don't have to argue this or that or the other. Let's just declare the gospel. And let me say this, Christian. If you're going to declare the gospel, you need to be familiar with the gospel, You need to get in the word of God. We, church, need to learn the gospel. We need to learn the reality of what God's word says and what the cross of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means to us. We need to get acquainted with that. Most Christians aren't acquainted with the full implications of what the gospel really means to us. We don't understand the reality of what grace is. We don't understand sanctification. We don't understand the healing that comes from the work that Jesus, we need to study the scriptures so that when opportunity comes, we won't be found ashamed, right? That's what Paul told Timothy. Study scriptures, right? As a workman, to show yourself approved unto God, that you wouldn't be ashamed, right? We need to study the scriptures and familiarize ourselves with the gospel of Jesus so that we can be defenders of our faith, that we can contend for the gospel that was once and for all delivered to the saints, Amen. We need to be able to make that defense. And, and it's not your arguments. It's not because your church is prettier than another church. It's not because you're a good person. Those aren't the merits that give weight to the gospel. Right? It's not because your church is more effective or whatever. More, uh, there's more people. It, th- those things are meaningless. It's not your goodness. It's not how wise you are. Right? That's not the kind of defense that's needed. 
The kind of defense that's needed is just letting that lion loose, boldly standing and declaring the gospel. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set God apart in your heart. Set God apart in your heart. We need to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. That's, that's another, I know I'm on limited time today. That's another message for another day. But we need to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And you should be really rude and brash and kind of arrogant because we've got it and you don't. Is that what he says? No. He says, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. He says, be ready to give a defense. It's, it's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses over in verse 7 in, in Philippians chapter 3. I'm ready for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Right? Be ready to give a defense. The word there is apologia. Right? That's where we get our word apologetics. How many of you have heard the word apologetics before? It's, it's the defense of our faith. Right? It's a theological practice. You could, you could study apologetics in, 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 in a Bible college or a seminary, but it's the practice of defending the faith, right? It's a defensive maneuver. How many of you understand that the, the faith is under attack? How many of you understand that Scripture is under attack? The sanctity of life is under attack. Marriage is under attack. Holy living is under attack, right? All, all, of the, all that is near and dear to the heart of God, the family is under attack. All that God values is under attack right? We, we have to defend, and it's to simply say what God has said about the matter. It's to declare the truth. It's to declare God's word. That's, that's the great defense. We need to be ready to defend, right? And, and he says to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. How many of you have hope in Jesus? Amen? That family yesterday grieving the loss of a son that was my age. He was about 11 months older than me. He's 47 years old and passed away. Grieving that loss. And they all talked about the hope of eternity. That's the hope that they have. I mean, without that, how in the world could a father lose a 47-year-old son or two brothers lose their brother like that and have any hope in this life? It's the hope of eternity. Without that, how in the world, I don't, I don't get it. How, without that hope, how can we grieve the loss of loved one? Without that hope, I would be absolutely overwhelmed with grief. I've only really lost my grandparents and my father, but without the hope of eternity, that would have wiped me out. Depressed and suicidal. What's this life amount to without the hope of eternity. Amen. Well, why do we have that hope? It's because of the gospel. It's because Jesus came and lived as a man for 33 years. He's fully acquainted with the human experience. He had a human body. And in that human body, he took all of our sin and died in our place. 
And that human body was put in a tomb. And three days later, the Holy Ghost raised that body up out of the tomb, triumphing over death, hell, and the grave. Right? The, tell was, the, 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 the veil was torn in the temple, and the way to God was open. That's the gospel. And that's not even all the gospel. There is a whole panoply beyond that, a whole menu. The Bible talks about the manifold grace of God. It's a many-faceted grace. There is so much grace that comes from the cross of Jesus, the work that he did for us, our sanctification, our, our justification, all of these things. And we as believers, we need to understand these things. We, we shouldn't be ignorant about the things of God. It is not a requirement to be a Christian, to be ignorant. It's not. We're actually called to wisdom. We're called to light. We're called to study the word of God and to understand these things. It's the pleasure of our God to reveal the mysteries of the gospel to us. Amen? Amen? That's, our, that's our pleasure. So we need to be able to give a reason of the hope that lies within us. Why do you believe you're saved? Why do you believe you're going to spend an eternity with, with God in heaven? Why do you believe in, in healing? In all that admits from the cross of Jesus Christ. Why do you believe those things? We need to be able to give an answer for that as believers. To defend our faith. To speak for the gospel. Right? But not only does Paul say that he's ready to defend the gospel, he also says, I'm ready to defend and confirm the gospel. So in, in modern theology, there's really three ways of propagating the gospel. There's the apologia, the apologetics. Then there's polemics, which is a different approach. And, and it's, it's more, apologetics is more of a defensive approach. Polemics is more of an offensive approach. And there, there's a third way that, that theologians talk about. It's called proof of truth. Proof of truth. You know what proof of truth is? The way that we confirm and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the way that we live our life. Paul says, if I preach this gospel, I'm going to live it. At least I myself should be a castaway. Proof of truth. This stuff's real. What Jesus did on the cross has changed this man's heart. That's proof of truth. That we have repented of our sins. We have turned our back on the world. That we have embraced the way of Jesus Christ. And we, yet yeah, we're, 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 we're faulty. We're mortal men with clay feet. And we make mistakes. But we're, doing, we're all in on this. Doing everything that we can to follow Jesus and live in a way that he would have us live. That's proof of truth. This, this word confirmation, it, it has the idea of a guarantee or a surety. A guarantee or a surety. You know that we have some sureties of the gospel? Luke, whenever he writes the, uh, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, if you didn't know that. But Luke wrote the book of Acts, and when he begins to write, he's writing to a gentleman named, named Theophilus, and he tells Theophilus, this, this is the, the, the statement that he makes, uh, Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many, listen to this, many infallible Truths, or proofs, I'm sorry. Many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus presented himself with infallible 
proofs. He had proof for Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? Look, put, put your hand in the nail prints. Put your hand in my side. Put your finger in the, in the marks on my hand. Touch. It's me, Thomas. I'm back from the, the, from the grave. That, that's, how many of you know that's an infallible proof? And, and it says many infallible proofs. He was with them for 40 days. The scholars have written estimates of how many people, just from the scriptures, they, they believe, <coughs> excuse me, that, 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 that saw Jesus in, in resurrected bodily form, just in the scriptures alone, 500 eyewitnesses. That's infallible proof. Right? There, there's a guarantee, there's a surety that this is a, a real gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is what separates him from all the other gods. You, you can find Buddha's bones and, and Muhammad's teeth. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's Muhammad's bones and Buddha's teeth. I can't remember. But anyway, there are relics from their human bodies. There's not a hair left from Jesus. Because he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Amen? The resurrection of Jesus separates Jesus from all the other gods. Amen? Many infallible proofs. In many ways, we can, con we can confirm the gospel. Paul was ready to defend and confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could really do a whole series on that. But this is where Paul is at. What are the results of Paul's faith? The results of his commitment to the gospel? A willingness to pay any price, to suffer, and to sacrifice whatever it took to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. What were the results? Listen to this. This is the end result of Paul's life in Acts chapter 28. This is the last two verses of Acts 28. Last two verses of the book. This is how the book wraps up. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own house, his own rented house, under house arrest, and he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He's under arrest on charges of preaching the gospel, and the jailers are letting him preach the gospel. When we, he, this is a man set, the Bible actually uses this word about him, set for the defense of the gospel. Church, when we set ourselves for the defense of the gospel, it doesn't matter what opposition comes against you. The Lord will use you. You might be bound, but his word cannot be. Amen. You might be under house arrest, but you can preach anyway with all confidence, no one forbidding you. And so he writes to this church at Philippi, said, you, you have stood with me in my chains, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. It was the church that funded Paul's trial. They stood with him. And he, he talks about the results of that. If you skip down a few verses into, this is Philippians chapter one, verse 12, it says, but I, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually, okay, when he, when he, let, me, let me just stop right there and say, when he's talking about the things that happened to him, he's talking about being stoned and left for dead. 
He's talking about being shipwrecked and bobbing like a bobber on the sea. He's talking about being beaten with many stripes. So when he's talking about when these things happen to me, that's what he's talking about. I want you to know that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my, my chains are in Christ. It's beautiful. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. My brothers in the Lord, because of the way I have been in my chains, confident, they have become more confident. See, that's how this thing's supposed to work. When we stand in the face of opposition, others are inspired to stand. Because Paul stood, other brothers stood. And they boldly declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? I wish I had about six weeks to talk about it. But I, I, I want to read, and this is in closing, I'm going to read one last passage of Scripture as a, a pretty good encapsulation of, and that may be another word that I made up today, of what the gospel is. I think I said superfluous last Sunday. Superfluous was the word I was looking for. And superfluous actually works where we're at right here because the, the gospel is more than just the cross. It's more than his death, burial, and resurrection. There is a superfluous flow <laughs> that comes forth out of that. Like an abundant, overwhelming, multifaceted grace that comes from the cross, and the burial, and the resurrection. More than we will ever comprehend. I'm, I'm calling you to study this, but the reality is you'll study it the rest of your life and still not comprehend it. We, we will not know the magnitude of the gospel until we get to heaven. But let's, let's, let's read this. Moreover, brethren, this is 1 Corinthians. My wife tells me I don't give you enough time to turn in the Bibles that I've asked you to bring to church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Men, when God gave you a help, helpmate, you know what that was for? That help means help keep you humble. Helpmate. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Happy Valentine's Day. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is the gospel right here and that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time, talking about 
his experience meeting Jesus on the road when Jesus arrested him. For I am the least of the apostles, whom I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, it starts with the cross, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't. There, there is a misnomer that our message is only the cross. The text that men use over and over again is First uh, Corinthians chapter two, right? For when I was amongst you, I determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. My preaching was not with the wisdom of men. It was not with flowery eloquence, but it was in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. So they read that passage and they stop and they say the only thing we should preach is the cross. But that, that's not true. He goes on, you read the following verses after that, he says, to those who were mature, the mysteries of God. There was deeper teaching beyond the simple gospel of the cross. What emanates from that cross? What comes to us as believers as a result of the cross? It's this Christian life. And there's much more to be taught. And if you go on into the third chapter, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, he says that the reason he taught the cross is because they were immature. They were babes still needing the sincere milk of the word. Right? So the, the, if somebody's immature, they, they need to hear. If they're not born again or if they're new, in the, they need to hear the cross that, that Jesus, starting at Jesus' death on the cross, but then we have to go beyond that. The death, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and then it, we have to teach the gospel, which is the kingdom coming to us. Right? The mysterious things of God. Right? And, and when, don't, because I know that certain people in the room have, when we start talking about the mysteries of God, we get nervous. Because that's meant something totally different. But I'm, I'm talking about the, the mysteries of God as revealed in Scripture. I'm not talking about all the other things that we get caught up in social things and mystical things and political things and all the other things that get, we get swept up in as believers. No, it's, it's what's revealed to us out of Scripture is the gospel. Because of the cross, I'm an overcomer. Because of the cross, I can walk in healing. Because of the cross, I can prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. Everything comes from the cross, but it goes beyond that. There, there are deeper things that have to be taught. We don't just stand here and talk about the cross of Jesus all day long, but we do understand that everything that we do talk about, talk, preach about, declare, it comes from the cross and the finished work that Jesus did there. We understand that. So when it comes to the gospel, yes, at, the, at its core, death burial, resurrection of Jesus. That, that's the good news. What comes out of that? That's, that's good news. Hey, I, I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. That's good news. There's healing available because he bore stripes at the cross. That, that's good news. 
I don't have to live with a tormented mind. I don't have to fall into depression. I don't have to put up with uh, psychotic behavior. I don't have to put up with voices in my head. Why? Because the, the chastisement of my peace was upon him. That's the good news. And we, I, like I said, I could take six weeks and expound on what the gospel of Jesus means to us. How it has affected our lives. We'll sum it up like this, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm in Jesus. When he went to the cross, I went and I died with him. When he was buried, I was placed in his tomb. And when he rose, praise God, resurrection life. Amen? The life I now live, it's a new life. I have newness of life because of what Jesus Christ did. Amen? Church, I want to encourage you to dive into your Bible. What does the gospel entail for us as believers? What does the finished work of Jesus Christ mean to us? Pastor Bill and I were talking on Sunday at the Chili Cook-Off. We, we talked a little bit about, about striving last Sunday, and he, he made this statement, Pastor Bill, there, there's a difference in striving by, by our, our flesh, striving by works, and striving by grace. Right? Because of what Jesus did, we now strive by grace. There's a new way. Amen? Let, let's stand together. Let's stand together. I preached longer than I wanted to preach. But I didn't say half of what I wanted to say. <laughs> Amen. I want to say this. While we're talking about the gospel. There's not one of us in this room that are worthy. Every one of us outside of Jesus Christ deserve the judgment and wrath of God. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. Ask your wife on the way home if she agrees. <laughs> ask, her if you, ask her if you're perfect. None of us are perfect. We are all, everyone, under the curse of sin. And we need a Savior. The Bible is clear. If this statement that I'm about to make is true, we can throw this book in the trash can. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ, that we can have a relationship with God. Amen. This Bible teaches that judgment is coming. And we deserve it. Every one of us deserve it because we are wretches. But through Jesus, we can escape that judgment. Amen? Through what he did, dying in our place as a sinner, the perfect Lamb of God who never sinned once, and sins of the world put on him, he died the grueling death, the agony of the cross, suffered that passion for us.
It's as simple as putting our trust and belief in him. Fully and completely yielding our life to him. And that's all it takes. It's not a matter of your perfection. It's not a matter of your works. It's not a matter of your striving in your flesh. It's a matter of completely surrendering. Complete faith in your heart that he is God. His word is true. And that he died for you and he rose for you. If you'll believe that with everything that's in your heart and commit to follow him, it's that easy. You don't have to be perfect to follow him. You just have to surrender. Is there anybody in this room today that says, Pastor, I need to give my life to the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to know God. I want relief. Hear this. If you're outside of Jesus, you're under the wrath of God. Period. When we come into Jesus, there's refuge. There's covering. All of the guilt, all of the shame, the Bible says he rolls our reproach away. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to see you be born again today. Experience the new life of God, that God has for you. And begin a new journey walking with Jesus the rest of your life. If that's you and you want to pray that prayer, I'll give you a minute. Please walk down this aisle. I'd love to pray with you.